You are listening to You Were Made For This, the podcast to help transform your relationships into the best they can be. Welcome to You Were Made For This. If you find yourself wanting more from your relationships, you've come to the right place. Here you'll discover practical principles you can use to experience the life-giving relationships you were made for. And now here's your host, John Sertalic. Hey, thank you, Carol. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode, where today, as always, we're here to discover how to find more joy in our relationships, because that is what you and I are made for. In recent episodes, we've considered how our lack of curiosity about people keeps our relationships at a surface level. To go deeper in our relationships, our curiosity deficiency can be cured with a simple vaccine. Ask people questions. We talked in the last few episodes about why we don't ask more questions. And one explanation is that we don't know how. Last week's show, number 64, introduced the first of the two most effective questions we can ever ask in deepening our relationship with people. That question is a question we ask ourselves, which goes like this. From what I know of the other person, what might it be like to be them? When we ask this question, in essence trying to put ourselves in the other person's shoes, other questions will naturally arise organically from within us, we can ask. We went over that pretty thoroughly in last week's show. Now in today's episode, we're going to consider the only other question you'll need to remember to deepen your relationship with someone. It's the most important question you can ever ask someone. So if you're taking notes, grab the very smallest post-it note you can find, because this question is really, really short. Go ahead, the rest of us will do a few stretching exercises while we wait for you. All right, if everyone is ready to go, here's the only other question you need to remember. It's this. Ask a follow-up question. Yeah, that's it. Ask a follow-up question. Think about Jesus and the questions he asked. Many of them were follow-up questions. Here's an example from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. We read in verse uh, 13 through 15 the following. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? That's a great follow-up question, isn't it? But what about you? Who do you say I am? Actually, two questions. You know, a follow-up question can be a follow-up to something someone says, something you observed, or something you remembered. They are important contributors to our relationships with people. When our relationships are devoid of them, our connection with people will never be as deep as they could be. This reminds me of a really awkward and painful moment in a Bible study Janet and I were in a while back. One of the women in the group shared one night how depressed she was feeling because she and her husband were longing for a second child, but she was not getting pregnant. 
It really bothered her. After she shared this heartfelt concern, the response from the rest of us was silence, nothing. And then someone changed the subject and brought up a completely different issue. A follow-up question might have been something like, how are you dealing with this? Or some follow-up statement like, oh, I'm so sorry you're dealing with this painful issue. Instead, there was just silence. I've thought about that incident from a number of years ago, and I regret I didn't say anything and wondered why others didn't too. Was it lack of practice in asking questions? Was it lack of curiosity? Were we too self-absorbed? Did we have poor listening skills? Or was it we just didn't know what to say? All I can tell you is that it was very hurtful for the woman who shared that deep longing in her life and getting no response. We did not care well for her that night. I suspect some of you have been in similar situations. The good news is that we can learn how to respond in situations like this. It's part of developing our relationship skills that we talked about a long time ago in episodes 11 through 14. If you are a newer listener to the podcast, you might want to check those out. They are foundational to what we are doing, and I'll have links to each of them in the show notes. A great thing about asking follow-up questions is that it pulls you away from our default mode of thinking about ourselves and focusing on what we want to add to a conversation. By thinking intently about asking follow-up questions, we contribute to a conversation when we draw out others rather than when we add to the conversation with our own thoughts and experiences. Draw out, don't add to. Another benefit of asking follow-up questions is that if we remember to ask them, we don't have to remember anything else. It will become second nature to us. Follow-up questions benefit not only us, but the other person we're listening to as well. Answering these follow-up questions can bring clarity in the other person's thinking. And many times it's far better than advice, which most people don't heed anyway. So how do we get started in asking follow-up questions? It begins with starting with what you observe and remember. Use your observation and memory to prime the pump of your thinking. What do you see in the other person you could ask about? What do you remember from a prior conversation you could inquire concerning that conversation? Follow-up questions are all about staying on one subject for as long as possible. The more times the topic of conversation changes, the less listening is going on. See how long you can stay on one subject by asking questions about that one subject. Here are two word pictures that might help. Asking follow-up questions is like peeling an orange. You know, some oranges peel easier than others. And you have to take off the peel to get to the good stuff. And it's peel by peel. It takes removing multiple peels to get what you really want, the fruit inside. The other word picture that resonates with me 
is that follow-up questions are like dancing a waltz. The other person leads and you follow. Let the other person take you wherever they want to around the ballroom dance floor. As a good dance partner and a good listener, you'll bring out the best in them when you let them lead and you follow. It will bring out the best in you too. Well, let me give you some examples of follow-up questions. The first one goes like this. Simply asking, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Don't let your assumptions get in the way of asking a follow-up question. Ask the other person to define their terms rather than assuming the way you define a term is the same way they do. Sometimes how we define something may be quite different from what another person means. Let me give you an example of this kind of question. What do you mean by that? A number of years ago, I was on a short-term missions trip to Turkey. It was just me. And I went to visit a missionary couple that had invited me to come over to do some counseling with uh, some of the people in their church and also to put on some workshops. So that's what I was there for. And I, of course, stayed with them. Well, one morning I got up and was in the kitchen and uh, the wife was uh, making breakfast and uh, waiting for her husband. And so we were chatting and she seemed uh, quite agitated. Uh, I said, what's what's happening? And she said, well, I talked to my son in Chicago uh, last night, and he said that he has undergone a significant spiritual awakening. And I'm really wondering about that. I mean, did he uh, join the Jehovah Witnesses? Has he become a Mormon? Uh, what? I'm just, I just uh, really, really upset about what he what he had to say. And, and she went on to talk a little bit more about just being really just agitated and, and uh, very concerned about her son and this whole spiritual awakening business. And then I said, well, why don't you call him back and ask him what he means by significant spiritual awakening? And she said, okay. Well, kind of forgot about it, and we went about our day, and then uh, the next morning, um, came down for breakfast again, and she was completely different. And she said, oh, I had a talk with my son last night, and I asked him what he meant. I followed your advice. I asked him what he meant by a significant spiritual awakening, and it's nothing like I had imagined. I had just imagined the worst. But I am just so grateful for you to suggest that question. It, it's made your trip worthwhile to come 5,000 miles away just to ask my my son that, that question, which basically was asking him to define his terms. And so that's an example, I think, of, of really not assuming what some people uh, are mean, but instead to really ask them to define what they mean. Another really simple follow-up question is simply to ask why. If you meet someone and they tell you they grew up in San Diego, you can ask, well, why did you like living in San Diego when you were a kid? And if they tell you that high school was a hard time for them, you can ask, well, why? Why was high school a hard time for you? And if they tell you that uh, they love sports as a teenager but now are not interested in, in them anymore, you can ask why. Why did you love sports as a teenager but now you don't? Simply asking why. Another follow-up question is, how so? 
How so? This brings me to one of my favorite stories, and it's about uh, a pastor's group that I was facilitating for about four years. There were eight guys from our area that would meet once a month to talk about issues that they were dealing with in their ministry or our personal lives, and uh, we uh, followed a very structured discussion model that uh, everyone seemed to like and I found very effective that we'll talk about someday, actually, uh, on this podcast. But one day before the meeting, um, people were just kind of chit-chatting, and, uh, and one, one, one fellow, one pastor said that uh, he, had, uh, he had a busy weekend and he had performed a wedding. And then one of the other pastors said, oh, I'd rather do a hundred funerals than one wedding. And then uh, we started uh, our discussion, and I said, well, wait a, wait a minute. I, that, that sentence intrigues me. I'd rather do a hundred funerals than one wedding. And what, what is that all about? The guy's name was Don. And, uh, and he proceeded to tell this this delightful story. He said, I was a pastor in a small congregation in in Canada, where I was from. And it was really hard to get people to come to church, and it was in an older older community. And I was very concerned with evangelizing and having people come to Christ, and, and, uh, but people just weren't coming to church. But the social event of that community was always a funeral. I got on the speaking circuit of all these funerals, and so I developed a five-part funeral message. And it would go something like this. I would start by saying, well, today we're here to celebrate the life of Mrs. Jones, and uh, you may remember when um, Mr. Smith died uh, a month ago, I talked about X, Y, or Z. And now in, in, uh, today I'm going to continue where I left off with, uh, with that same topic. And, and he said I had these five sermons that they, he prepackaged that he would uh, give in, in sequence. And he said, we had, we had lots of people uh, coming to Christ. We had lots of people that committed their life to, to God during these, during these funerals. And he said, I, I love doing them because I, I saw such uh, great results uh, from them. They had wonderful discussions afterwards. And then he said, we never had anybody come to Christ at a wedding. <laughs> and everybody laughed, you know. And so I, I was just really taken by that. And I thought, you know, if we could have easily have had left that uh, sidebar come and go, you know, I'd rather do 100 funerals than one wedding because people wanted to get the meeting started. But by asking the question, how so, it drew out Don, we drew out this guy to talk about something that was just a delightful conversation that just brings a smile to my face every time I think of it. Well, another follow-up question we can ask is this. Can you give me an example of that? Can you give me an example of that? And I'll give you an example of that. Uh, suppose someone says, suppose a wife says, um, before my husband got sick, he did so many wonderful things for people. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, that's nice. Oh, that's sweet. Oh, you must miss him. But a better question would be, or a better statement would be, can you give me an example of that? Can you give me a specific story or a concrete example of, that illustrates the general comment that you made? 
I find this to be a very powerful follow-up question. Can you give me an example of that? It opens up doors. It unlocks things. Um, it gives people permission to talk in specific terms about something that they feel deeply in general. Well, if you forget everything else about uh, today's episode, here's the one thing that I hope you remember from today's show, and it's this. One of the greatest gifts we can ever give someone is the gift of listening. And a big part of that gift is asking follow-up questions. They show you care. Well, how can we respond uh, to today's episode? We can start by honoring someone this week by asking him or her one or two follow-up questions. It's one way that we can live out Romans 12.10, where Paul says we're told to take delight in honoring each other. And when we ask follow-up questions, we are honoring someone. We can make it our goal to get people to say to you, thank you for asking. When we listen to someone and they say, thank you for asking, I can't think of a higher compliment. And a lot of it has to do with so many people aren't listening. And to be in a conversation with someone that does can be very life-giving and and very uh, fulfilling for the other person. And so when we make it our goal to get people to say to us, thank you for asking, it means that we have to do a good job of listening and asking questions. So make that our goal. That's one thing we can do in response. Another thing is to dance a waltz with someone, a listening waltz. They lead, you follow. You can also respond this week by working on asking just two follow-up questions in a conversation you have with someone. It takes practice, and just think in terms of asking people, what do you mean by that? Why? How so? Can you give me an example of that? Those are just four questions, four follow-up questions. As always, another thing you could do is to let me and your fellow listeners know what resonated with you about today's episode. You can share your thoughts on the leave a reply box at the bottom of the show notes, or you can simply send them to me in an email to john at caringforothers.org. I hope your thinking was stimulated by today's show to, to both reflect and to act so that you will find the joy God intends for you through your relationships. Because after all, you were made for this. And now for our relationship quote of the week. I'm taking it from a workshop that I gave not too long ago on listening. And part of the workshop, I have a series of slides of just wonderful quotes about listening. And this is the the quote I'm going to read to you uh, in, in just a second here is the one that everybody comments on. It's the one that everybody wanted to copy and remember. And it comes from David Augsburger. And he says, Being listened to is so close to being loved that most people cannot tell the difference. Being listened to is so close to being loved that most people cannot tell the difference. Well, thank you for that, David Augsburger. Well, that's all for today. See you next week. Goodbye for now.